Classic Comics Forum podcast presents issue number 30, Richard Dragon, Kung Fu Fighter, Part 1. Welcome back to the Classic Comics Forum podcast. As always, I'm your host, Scott Harris-King, and in this episode, I'm excited to bring in a brand new guest. Everyone, clap your hands for Metarog. Metarog is one of the most popular comics YouTubers on YouTube. He's also an expert on all things uh, variants, uh, particularly when it comes to the old-school free premium variants, as well as the 30 and 35-cent Marvel variants. But he's also an expert on Kung Fu comics of the 1970s, which makes him the perfect guest to bring in for this two-part discussion of DC's short-lived but strangely influential Richard Dragon Kung Fu Fighter. Uh, I encourage everyone who enjoys this podcast to go over to listen to and watch Metarog's YouTube videos. I also wanted to mention before we get started that this is the first episode of the Classic Comics Forum podcast that has a sponsor, and that sponsor is me. Yes, that's right. My comic book that I write and draw, The Crime Busters, is currently live on Kickstarter for issues one, two, and three, the newest one, number three. Now, that is only for the first couple days this is live. My Kickstarter for The Crime Busters number three ends on Friday, December 3rd at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But if you are listening to this the first couple days, you'll have the opportunity to back that if you're interested. So, The Crime Busters, thanks for sponsoring it. You're welcome. And now, on to our show, Richard Dragon, Kung Fu Fighter, with special guest star, Metarog. Uh, let's t- let's talk about Richard Dragon, Kung Fu Fighter. Um, <laughs> whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Um, I should add sound effects throughout the entire. Uh, all right. So to set the stage, so Richard Dragon, Kung Fu Fighter, set the stage uh, for those who didn't live through it. This is actually slightly before my time, but in the 1970s there was this big kung fu craze in the United States. Started really started a little bit in the in very, very late 60s, but it was in the early 70s where we get the TV show Kung Fu. Uh, and then in 1972, and then in 73, the following year, it was this huge, huge explosion of things where there were all these Hong Kong, what they called the, the Chop Saki movies that suddenly became huge at the box office. And it was this massive craze. You get like the songs, like everybody was Kung Fu fighting. Bruce Lee, you know, um, took over the box office and then tragically passed away. This was all in 1973. And um, Marvel immediately jumped on this craze, like right away, because uh, Shang-Chi debuts um, in Marvel Special Edition number 15. It's cover dated December 1973. So they're working on this. That's the cover date. So we got to figure it was probably on shelves in August. I mean, in September. So they have to basically start working on it. You know, in May, when all of these movies take over the box office, they had to have like immediately started being like, let's go. So uh, props to Marvel because they're, they're very good with this sort of thing. But in this in particular, they, they didn't waste a second. They jumped on that. And then, um, just a few months later, they get Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, which is the black and white 
Kung Fu, like oversized magazine, April 1974, cover date. Iron Fist debuts May 1974. Marvel's putting out all this stuff. And meanwhile, DC is kind of not doing anything. They already have a character in the Legion of Superheroes called the Karate Kid, but, you know, and then, uh, so we get this, basically this big blank from DC. Um, and they would eventually start putting out this stuff, I think a little bit too late. Um, but one other thing that happens here in 1974 is while DC is dragging their feet, one of their writers is not dragging his feet, and that's Denny O'Neill. And what I find kind of really interesting about, as we're going to talk about here with Richard Dragon, he actually does not debut in the comics. He debuts in a novel called Kung Fu Master Richard Dragon, Dragon's Fists. It was co-written, I've got my notes here because I was going to forget this, a guy by the name of James Barry. And so Denny O'Neill and James Barry, they put out this novel in 1974 and I don't really know what the story is of how this ended up transitioning into the comics. But in 1975, um, we get, uh, cover date, May 1975, we get Richard Dragon, Kung Fu Fighter number one with Denny O'Neill adapting his own novel. And uh, uh, part of me wants to discuss the first four issues as a batch because those are the issues that are supposedly... Um, adapting the novel but i think we have to talk about them individually because in terms of 1970s dc if you if you've read a lot of 70s dc there's a certain there's certain things you can think about and i can't say that this series is the peak of 1970s dc but it might be the most 1970s dc of all the 1970s dc starting with the inexplicable fact that they kick off this big new initiative by having four different art teams on the first four issues and not just different, but like radically different from one to the next. So when I was trying to read these four issues as one story, wow, it was just like, I was just getting whiplash when I opened the next issue. Um, why don't we start with issue one? Um, I'll, I'll just go over the plot really quick. And if you have anything to mention, just jump in. Um, I did just finish reading the whole series, like literally 10 minutes before we started this discussion. Okay. <laughs> so it's relatively fresh, but um, th this first four issues as a story, um, I found really uh, kind of um, a bit of a jumble. I was not able to get the novel. I don't know if you've read the novel, but I, have, I, I found a copy online, but they wanted $60 for it. And oh. I just couldn't, couldn't swing that. But I'm really curious because I have to imagine and hope that the novel is more coherent in terms of a storyline than these four issues adapting the novel. Because what we get is in issue one, we basically get the origin of Richard Dragon. And then in issues... Um, two, three, and four, we get what's basically an extended chase scene with very little explanation as to why it's happening or why we care and almost no resolution. <laughs> yep, um, that's correct. <laughs> so issue one, uh, we got the creative team here. And I got to be honest, I uh, have never heard of the artist on this. So the artist is named, uh, is, or the credited name is Leopolda Duraniona. I think I got that relatively correct. Um, clearly, you know, in the 70s, they had this big thing, uh, 
all across comics starting in the late 60s really where they're bringing in a lot of foreign artists a lot of artists particularly from the philippines but also from like south america and um there's a certain stylistic uh unity to to the art that those people create so you can see from the art and from the name that he is probably one of these people but if you know something about this artist please chime in now because i have no idea who this guy is I have never seen him before or since. This is the only credit I've ever seen that artist on. So it might be a pseudonym of some sort, but the art style, I don't recognize it either. So it could be somebody that they, they, they found just to do the first issue because they, they had you know, too many, you know how that goes, you know how DC was it then, they were having so many titles, they probably didn't have an artist to spare, which, <laughs> which is probably why there's so many artists in the oh. first couple issues. Well, I mean, I thought it was pretty good. Like, I thought the art was pretty good. Again, it has that certain style where you can tell it's possible that this may, as you say, be a pseudonym. And it may not be a pseudonym for, like, a known artist. It might be that there was, um, like, a, like, a production studio, you know, somewhere, um, you know, in, in South America or in the Philippines or something that was putting this package together and they were just using that name, kind of like Mike Diodato uh, in the 90s. Rusty um, bunkers. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought the art was fine. There's a couple things here in issue one I wanted to mention. So basically we get the story, which is very typical in some ways of these, where we have uh, Richard Dragon. He's in Kyoto, Japan, for some reason. We never find out why he's there. and But he's uh, this white American who is seems like a, in his mid-teens, maybe at this point. He sneaks into this um, temple... Yep. Uh, to to steal this uh, artifact and um, the master there who will come up a few times oh sensei uh, is there and he basically is like I can sense that uh, you're a troubled youth but you have potential join me and I will teach you and then we also get the introduction of Ben who is um, also American but he's he's black and he's been training there for a while. And so there's a bit of a fight and Richard Dragon's like, yeah, you guys just kicked my butt. So I guess I should come train with you. And then we fast forward several years and um, there's a, uh, actually let's, before I get to the second half of the plot, let's just talk about this. Cause I have a few things to say first, but let me, I've been talking a lot. What do you think of this as the origin? Because I've got some issues with it. Um, I'm curious what your opinion is. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's it's a it's an origin of convenience here that you know it's some and and he even says I don't have a family, so it's not like they were vacationing there or you know they were missionaries or anything like that. He says I don't have a family. Um, you know, it, obviously, in the novel, they must explain you know something. Ha I think he later on he says that his parents died in a plane crash or something. So yeah, and, and it's weird because here he is, he's just like, he's, it looks like he's like a street orphan on, you know, basically stealing to make, but the only other time anything's mentioned is um, a couple issues later when they go to New York, I think it's in the next issue, they go to New York and they've, he's got a, a dojo there, a whole building, a compound, and um, I think that's when he basically says that it was left to him in his father's will. His father was killed in a plane crash. And I'm right. like, if your father owns property in Manhattan, why are you begging for money on the streets of Kyoto? And right. he clearly, if he left it to you in your, in his will, it's not like you weren't provided for. So right. now, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Now it's, it's possible that in the intervening years, something happened and, 
Uh, and he, you know, again, we, we don't know because we didn't read that novel, you know, so it could be that he was kidnapped or something, you know, who knows, right? But yeah, he definitely comes out as, uh, like you said, just uh, surviving on the street. He wants to, I think it's a Jade Buddha or something that he wants to, to, to steal there. And essentially he gets just pummeled by uh, O-sensei and Ben Turner. Well, Ben Stanley, they call him back then, I think, which was odd, I thought. And uh, yeah, and then all of a sudden, you know, they sort of jump forward like five or seven years. And yeah, he's, he's now got, you know, he's got, he's got stuff. He's got good. Yeah. Um, a couple of the things that I had an issue with from this flashback sequence that we start with, although it's not really a flashback, but whatever, from the stuff that happens a few years ago when he's a teenager. First of all, there's um, a thing where Ben's like, when he, they first meet each other, Ben's like, I'm just about to make some food. Why don't you come in and we'll talk. And Richard decides to throw a bunch of racial slurs at him. And, um, This felt to me about as uh, mid-70s as you can get. It's the only period, not just in comics, but really in pop culture, where you're going to get this kind of interaction. You're not going to see this in the 60s. And by the 80s, they were like, whoa, what are we doing? We can't do that anymore. Right. There's this period in the 70s where they're like trying to like keep it real about race relations. Yep. And the way they do that is just like they keep it, for modern sensibilities, they keep it way too real. Um, it's something like, it doesn't really bother me because I understand the historical context. I grew up, you know, I was born in 73. As a kid growing up in the late 70s and early 80s, I was watching daily reruns of All in the Family, you know. And so, like, that's the touchstone I always go back to is that I can see that they're trying to actually do something a little bit progressive in the conversation by by being taking things seriously and addressing it but they do it in a way that to modern to when i read it now i'm just like <laughs> like and it's not right. the only time it comes up there's a number yep. of times later where basically whenever ben managed to crawl out of whatever sick bed he's currently in something i have a tracker i'm gonna i'm gonna go over because okay. he's constantly being taken out of the action but whenever he manages to show up somewhere whoever they're fighting immediately starts lobbing racial slurs at him because to show that they're the bad guys um, it does. It gets a little bit tiring. It does. But remember, this is Denny O'Neill, and he wrote the uh, the Green Lantern reboot and the uh, early '70s. And there's a lot of that kind of stuff: racial slurs, ethnic slurs. Um, so, I mean, I, 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 I true. I mean, now I read it, and it's to me, it's disturbing, you know. But um, back then, I, you know, I was like, you know, this, this is. You're right. All in the family. This was something that, unfortunately, I never understood it myself. I, I didn't get it, you know, why, you know, I, I'm Hispanic, you know, what, why would people want to say something about my, you know, without knowing me as an individual? I, I never got that, um, that kind of mentality. Um, but yeah, I, it is throughout. In fact, later on in the series, there's some really ones that were disturbing to me. Yeah. Um, so, but, but yeah, you're right. And, and you're right, Ben Turner or Stanley, uh, he's really... Really, this Richard Dragon, I'm, I don't want to get too far ahead of this, it's really not about just Richard Dragon. It's really about a team, uh, if, you, if you want to look at it. But uh, he definitely, at, at, at the beginning here, is very much the uh, recipient of, of the, the, the worst that happens, not Richard Dragon. 
Yeah. Uh, again, I also don't want to get too far ahead of it, but just to set the stage. So the, the series lasts 18 issues. And I think the, the downfall of the series, um, the part of what makes it so interesting to read with a critical eye, but also why I think the series ultimately didn't succeed. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going we're to talk about this more at the end. Cause I have a lot of like, after we get to the end, I think it's very fascinating what happened to the characters after the series. Richard Dragon is the least interesting character in the comic. And so what happens is for the first half of the run, once they introduce Lady Shiva in issue five, she sort of dominates every, she's the cool character and they bring her as much as they can. And Ben meanwhile is like, there was a point where by the, by issue 10 or so, I was literally saying to my wife as I was reading this, I'm like, why did they even have this character in here? But then a funny thing happens about halfway through the series is Ben is written back into the stories and he still does, does almost nothing, but his life is actually what drives the plot. And so Richard Dragon is sort of sidelined in his own book. He's, he's in the, and this problem is he's in the center. He's always on screen but everything is either we're waiting to see Lady Shiva do something cool or Richard Dragon is trying to investigate something that has to do with Ben because Ben actually has things going on in his life and Richard Dragon does not. Um, I agree, yeah. The other thing I want to get into with this origin that, again, is problematic for me from a modern perspective, is, but it's also very, very typical is that we get this thing that happens in so many of these comics, including Iron Fist, where, uh, and not just comics, movies, TV shows, books. The Americans, not just white people in this case, but Richard Dragon, the white guy, become much better at Kung Fu than the, the Chinese people that are teaching them. So you have this culture where you've got the O sensei and, and you've got like all these people. And basically the guy who becomes the greatest Kung Fu master in the world is some random white dude. And uh, this happens a lot in these stories where it's like um, the white people are better at whatever's going on than, you know, the, the native people that they're learning it from. They're, they're better at the Chinese culture than actual Chinese people. Um, of course, he's in Japan, but we're just going to ignore that for now. Yeah. Um, again, this is not something that occurred to me at all when I read this, because I had some of these in the, in the 80s. Right. I never would have noticed that. Um, but when I'm reading it today in 2020, I'm just like, it's, it just feels a little bit weird. It does. It does. You're right. And, and I, I give them credit and that they have a diverse ethnically diverse and racially diverse cast they do yes eva being the asian uh uh character ben turner being the african-american and then we have um richard dragon being the anglo so i give them credit for that but again the way that they portrayed them i think is a little stereotypical as far as from american or anglo perspective um and Again, again, you're right. Back then, there weren't the sensitivities that there are now, um, uh, and and that is unfortunate. But um, you're right. To me, I found it odd. I, I think Shiva, I think was almost his equal, but um, but definitely Ben Turner was always not always, but about every other issue, he was getting either injured or he was getting taken out, 
And yeah, and there's one that's really hilarious. I'll wait till we get to it. But um, so let's talk about the second half of issue one. So that's just the, the first part. That's the backstory. The second half kind of doesn't make any sense to me, but it sets up the um, what's going to be the standard nonsensical plot setup for most of these, which is we get introduced to this guy named Barney Ling who runs this secret organization called GOOD, G-O-O-D. It's an acronym. And throughout the series, they keep saying, uh, there's all these, these editor's notes like nobody knows what good stands for. We do find out in the letter column of the last issue what it last stands issue, for. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, but he shows up and he's, and we're not really sure what the purpose of the, this group is, what they're trying to accomplish, why they're trying to accomplish it. And yet they, they're, and they're, this guy is very devious. He's always sort of blackmailing Richard Dragon and Ben and later Lady Shiva into doing these missions for him and they don't want to work for him, but they always do. And it never works out. They rarely accomplish the goal. And when they do, you don't know why they did any of it. Um, and that happens here where he's like, there's a guy, it does, it's, there's a lot of MacGuffins in this series. And oh, it's basically, <laughs> he's like, there's some guy I need you to find. And he, for some reason, like he's in, I don't know, wherever, Algiers or wherever, the Morocco. Uh, go find him and they're like no okay yes we will and so they go do that and they have a big fight and none of it really matters except for they like go out of the dojo and they have their first real world fighting experience and at the end they're like we're changed people we can never be the people we were before because we went to Africa and fought some guys I don't know and then a key thing happens during this fight which is Ben gets shot in the arm and it's the first of several times in a row where we're going to see Ben getting taken out. And again, I'm applying my 2020 liberal vision to this because that's who I am. And I'm just like, these, he was training before Richard Dragon. Ben, he, it was established that he's been there for several years. He's supposed to be just as good as Richard Dragon. We never find out if he is because something happens every single time he goes on a mission he gets taken out sometimes in hilariously stupid fashion. Like there's one issue later on where um, he never even sees the bad guy. Cause they hit him with a rock. This <laughs> is just throw a rock at him and they knock him out. And there's even worse ones later. Right. Um, but it was really frustrating where we have this black character who's the whole reason to include him. He's even on the masthead uh, yep. for the first couple issues. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's up there. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to find it. Yeah, here we are. Like yeah, number three. Number three. three. Here he is. There he is. There's Ben. Um, and he, he never gets to do anything. He's shown as basically being completely incompetent. Um, and he, all he's there for is to make Richard Dragon look better because, by just by failing all the time. And uh, I found that to be really irritating, particularly because later on, as we see, Richard Dragon is such a nothing character like there's nothing to the character that they end up f focusing on Ben um, almost by default. And I'm like, let him do something. Let him actually yeah. like beat some dudes. I don't know. I mean, he, he does, he does get in, you know, some, some good licks here and there, but, uh, but yeah, generally at the end somewhere, he either gets knocked out or he gets taken out somehow, some way, or sometimes he's like in the background, like, um, when he went into to get, well, I, wanted, I don't want to go too far ahead, but he says, oh, Ben's waiting in the car, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, so issue two, 
again, I'm trying to imagine what this is like as a book because you basically get issue, this story in issue one where you get the backstory. They go on this mission that doesn't mean anything, yeah. but they're just like, well, we're doing missions for this group now for no apparent reason. And, and then at the beginning of issue two, the sensei's like, I can't teach you anything else. So you've got to go out in the world. So he basically throws them out. Um, before, before we get into the plot though, this issue, the art is by, the pencils are by the team of Alan Weiss and Jim Starlin oh, yep. with inks by Al Milgram. Milgram, yep. And the, the difference between the art and the second issue from the first issue is stark, particularly oh. the way they draw Richard Dragon. He doesn't look anything like the character in the first issue. Mm-hmm. It's not nearly as abrupt as what's going to happen when we train <laughs> out of this team. But um, they, I think they also did the cover. What's weird is the cover is signed Vice, V-I-C-E. Um, and I'm like, I think it's, it's Alan Weiss, uh, but he's got some sort of um, collaborator. I don't know who that would be with Vice. Maybe Vince Coletta doing the inking. I don't know. I can't figure it out. Yeah, I um, but I, when I first saw this, I was like, who's Vice? But then when I read it, I was like, it's got to be Alan Weiss. It kind of looks like Alan Weiss. But, um, right. So they get kicked out of the dojo. They're, they're going to go to New York. And all of a sudden, O-sensei's, um, there it is, with the crotch shot. Um, they're going to go to New York, and O-sensei's goddaughter shows up, which is really interesting because I, I guess they're Catholic. Uh, I don't know. They're, I thought they were Buddhists, but I guess they're Catholic because she's his goddaughter. And um, but, and again, she seems to, she also seems to be Chinese, even though they're in Japan. But it um, doesn't matter because they're all going to America and she's like, I'm coming with you. And then the rest of the issue is random people trying to kidnap her or kill her or one or the other or both for reasons that are extremely vague. And they, they get to New York and they are able to open up their own dojo because that's when Richard Dragon reveals, oh, my father left me this building in Manhattan in his will. Um, okay, we, he never mentions his mother. Um, and uh, they open the school, but it doesn't really matter because a bunch of people attack and Ben gets shot in the leg. And um, they get away with the... With, uh, with the woman and so richard dragon leaves to track her down and um we also get introduced to the bad guy who's called the swiss um i'm assuming he's swiss and he looks european yeah he looks european and he gets away with her and um yeah so this issue ben gets shot in the leg now last issue got shot in the arm and it was towards the end of the fight so it didn't really matter too much this time he gets shot in the leg right near the beginning and he's going to be on crutches and out of action for the rest of this arc. So issues three and four, we see him on crutches. And at one point, he actually fights some dudes with his crutches. With the crutches, yeah. Um, loses, of course, because um, anyway, uh, loses. But um, yeah, so Ben's immediately taken out of the action. Um, I don't actually have a whole lot to say about this except for... <laughs> a recurring thing we're going to see throughout the series is there's a lot of propulsive action, very little explanation as to why we should care about any of this. This, this woman shows up. We've never met her before. 
She's immediately attacked. She's repeatedly attacked and then taken away. We don't know why they're trying to get her. She doesn't know why they're trying to get her. Our people just met her and then they have to go save her. And so stuff's going on, but we don't know why any of it's happening or why any of it matters. And there's a lot of stories later where we never find out. (laughs) And I think ostensibly her uncle uh, was a scientist and he came up with some kind of laser frequencies or something that they want to, uh, that they want and they, they, they can't beat it out of him. Or I think he kills himself. That's Uh, right. Right. So he can't get it. So, but, but what does he do? He mails those to his uh, granddaughter or niece or some, uh, whoever she is, Carolyn. Yeah. Whatever. Um, And they see him somehow they know based upon him putting it in the mailbox that it's her. How? I don't know, but you know, they know. And so now they're after her. To see it's also wonder, it's also curious that they knew it was her considering well, we're going to meet Lady Shiva in a couple issues, who's this woman's sister. And they look yeah. almost exactly the same. Uh, something that comes up a couple times. Um, yeah, so I mean, uh, yeah, as an issue by itself, it, like it's part of an ongoing story. Um, uh, again, I kind of want to treat this uh, plot-wise as uh, as one story because yeah. issue three, like literally, nothing happens in issue three. But before we get to that, actually, there's something from last issue issue one I just wanted to mention real quick. Uh-huh. Talking about pseudonyms, like we were trying to guess who the artist might have been. Right. Throughout the entire series, it was constantly saying based on characters created by Jim Dennis. Right. as interpreted by Denny O'Neill. Now, Jim Dennis is a pseudonym for Denny O'Neill and Denny his writing O'Neil. partner. Yeah. And so they, they keep up this masquerade as though Denny O'Neill is adapting works from a different artist, author, but he's adapting his own works. His own works, yeah. And in issue one, because they don't have any letters, there's an extensive biography of Jim Dennis, which becomes increasingly ridiculous and absurd as they're talking about all this like martial arts training he had in, in, the, in the Orient and that he was like all these missions he went on and all this stuff. And it's like so preposterously goofy that um, I wonder how many people reading it at the time that had, that didn't know what was going on. Cause they never explained it thought that this was real. And that there was like, well, none of this action seems to have any, like to make any sense in terms of real martial arts, but Jim Dennis had, has so much experience that it, I guess he must know what he's talking about. Yeah, I kind of equate it to like the Ian Fleming novels where supposedly he was a spy and all that and yet it was debunked. He never was any of that, Um, you know. And yeah, they're creating a persona here that does not exist. Uh, The novel was written by Denny O'Neill and essentially Jim Barry was just kind of like more the illustrator and think, you know, he didn't really do a lot of the actual writing. So you're right, It's, it's, it's amazing to me, like it's, we know, and I know, I knew when I started reading this because um, I had, I remember that, that, that novel, I, I never read it, but I remember seeing it. And, um, and then later on you find out that it's, it's, it's Denny O'Neill, you know? I'm, and then I go back like you and I'm like, I do a double take. I was like, didn't they say that this was a guy who was a martial artist and all this? And now it's Denny O'Neill, you know? Yeah, it's just yeah. Denny O'Neill just making crap up. He's just yeah. like, yeah, just having a grand old time was complete BS. And but it, what's funny to me is they continue this for the entire series. It's always saying 
based on a story by Jim, characters created by Jim Dennis, interpreted okay. by Denny O'Neill. I'm like, yeah, there are, I think two issues by David Anthony Croft. Yeah, I want, we're going to talk a lot about those when we get to them because, um, it, anyway, we'll talk to them when we get to them. But you, did you tell them who does the art? And number three? here we are, number three. Let's talk about number three because really the art is almost the only thing to talk about. Oh boy! All of a sudden, out of nowhere, parachuting in like a madman. It's Jack Kirby doing the art. So you go from this about the finest like feathery line work you can get with Alan Weiss. And then you go to Jack Kirby attempting to draw Kung Fu. Oh yeah. It's like, I opened the comic and I was just like, ah. now this is an interesting period in terms of Jack Kirby's career. Because he was right at the end of his career at DC. And what was happening was most of his titles have been canceled, but he had a contract with them specifying he was going to turn out a certain number of pages every month. They started having him do all sorts of random nonsense. And a lot of that stuff ended up being like these one-off books where he was just creating new concepts that they thought were crap, but they published a lot of them in the pages of first issue special right around the same time period. And so you'll see his artwork show up in weird places with weird characters and weird concepts. This has got to be the weirdest of them, though, because at least in first issue special, he's making his own crap up. Right. Um, you know, Dingbats of Danger Street might be weird, but you know it's a Jack Kirby concept. But right. to have him come in and take over this title from Alan Weiss and Jim Starlin. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I don't know what the... Like, I don't know, I don't understand editorially what they're thinking. And this is what I was saying in terms of this being the most 70s DC of 70s DC. Because this sort of stuff happens all the time in this period in DC, where they're constantly sabotaging themselves by having no continuity in the creative team or the creative vision, constantly rotating artists, different writers, and, and stuff throughout all of their titles. And it makes most of their books a mess. And so at this time... Richard Dragon's not the only book they're launching here. They actually launched a whole bunch of titles around the same time. The only one of the, any of those titles that actually succeeded, I think was Warlord, if I'm remembering correctly. And that actually was canceled after issue two and had to be revived later. And so um, they're just like a total mess on the editorial side. And I don't understand what they're thinking where they make these new titles and then sabotage them immediately with decisions like this. And people in the letter columns write in about this and are like, what are you doing? Like, uh, every, like I'm trying to read your comic book and the whiplash going from Alan Weiss to Jack Kirby is just about the worst I've ever seen. Yeah, and, and Kirby, you know, I'm a big Kirby fan, but uh, for, for the fluidity that you need for the martial arts, just didn't work out too well. No, he's not really fluid. He's blunt force trauma. Blunt force. That's right. Yeah. Um, so when I saw it, I mean, you're right. And the characters, I, I, you can't even recognize them. You know, they all look like, uh, you know, glorious broad, Broadfree, Broadfree to me, you know. They do. Um, he gives Richard Dragon a costume here that he never wears before or since, which I actually kind of liked. I thought it was not bad. Yeah, I didn't think I kind of liked the design. Um a couple things happen story-wise that become important. Um, well, one's important. The other one's just sort of a note. Nothing happens in this issue. He basically goes, he chases after the Swiss. 
But while nothing happens, what does happen is an absolutely classic kung fu movie trope. He shows up at this place and there's a whole group of other martial artists or just fighters. They're not all martial artists that are waiting. And in order to confront the Swiss, he has to defeat all of them in combat. And they all have their own shticks. There's like a guy with a certain type of weapon and there's a guy with like a gun and there's a guy who has a different kind of training and he has to defeat them all. It's very much a Kung Fu movie thing where it's kind of like, um, I just blanked on what the name of it was, but the, the, the movie, the um, Bruce Lee movie he was making. At the Game of died. Yeah. Where he has the tower and on yeah, each tower. level, there's a different expert yeah. with a different specialty. That's exactly what's happening here. So I appreciated that. The thing that happens that's important in this issue in terms of the character is while he's getting ready for this, he pops open this box that has this jade amulet of a dragon that O Sensei gave him. And he does this meditation. And throughout the rest of the series, he almost gains like some kind of low level superpowers, although it's supposed to be like his martial arts training taking over where he like clutches this thing and he becomes the dragon. And um, there's a whole sequence here that, that Jack Kirby draws, which is actually kind of cool where he's like, he gets this thing out of the box and he puts it on ceremonially and he does his meditation. And uh, that's it. The whole, the whole issue is just him like, I'm going to go to that building and punch eight guys. And then he punches eight guys. And then the Swiss is like, Oh, that didn't work at all. Let me just blow the building up. Boom. And he blows the building up and, and drives off. And so the next issue is almost the exact same thing when we get to issue four, because it's still him chasing him. It's just a lot of, it's a car chase now. Um, issue four ends the, at the beginning of the series, they say that the book adaptation is going to be the first three issues, but that's clearly not the case. It seems to go until the end of issue four. Yeah. And um, we get an all new art team, but this is the art team that's actually sort of going to stick around for the rest of the series. We've got Rick Estrada taking over on pencils. He's going to be the artist for the rest of the run. We get um, three different inkers, I think, over the course of the run. The first is Wally Wood. So this is a really interesting mix for me. It actually becomes more interesting to me later when we finally see Rick Estrada inking himself. And then you can really see how much Wally Wood is doing on the inks. I find Wally Wood's inking through his run in the book to be, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I'm blanking, but it's up and down. It's not very, it's inconsistent. Right. This first one, it's very Wally Wood. And you can tell immediately. There's ones later where it seemed like he was in a real hurry and he didn't yeah. really do that much. But in this one, so the art's really good because Wally Wood's one of the great artists of all time. And um, he basically, uh, chases them down and um, she dies. And there's this goofy scene where she's in, dying in, in his arms. And she's like, I could have loved you. And I'm like, based on what? You only yeah. had, you had like one conversation on the airplane over here and then you're immediately kidnapped. Yep. Okay. Uh, you know, you look so hot in that Jack Kirby costume that I know I could have fallen in love with you uh, or something. And then he just like beats the Swiss to death with his bare hands and uh, the story ends. And I'm like, is that really how the novel ended? Because it's very downbeat, but also we get the, the plot is so incredibly thin, whatever. It's all MacGuffin. It doesn't even matter why she's being kidnapped. 
He doesn't save her. Everybody dies. Nothing's accomplished. Um, and then he goes home. The end. That's, that's essentially right. I mean, uh, I think, again, when you're talking about adapting a novel that probably has hundreds and hundreds of pages, you have to truncate a lot of plot points. I understand that. But you're right. There are such huge plot holes here, or at least if there aren't, they, they just, you're right, it doesn't seem to accomplish much. I mean, obviously he doesn't get the codes for the laser frequencies. So you figure, you know, whatever plot that was is gone. But, it, but again, it's almost like, that was almost like an aside of what occurred. It was more like at this point, trying to rescue the girl and get revenge on the Swiss. Um, and, and you're right, it just, it just does not make a lot of sense when you, when you think about a coherent storyline that has some kind of objective. It just sort of falls flat. Um, so I'm thinking the novel was just very poorly adapted here. They just wanted to keep the action going and, and thus, you know, the actual uh, reasons uh, and the actual conclusions that we, sh we should get to, you know, to feel like there was some kind of finish uh, just never occurred. So uh, there's a couple things. So, hmm. Denny O'Neill uh, is, is a great writer to me, a uh, comic book writer. He's done a lot of great stuff over the course of his career. Mm -hmm. I have this sense, and we're going to talk about this really in the next couple issues, okay. that he can't, he's, he increasingly has trouble taking his own characters seriously and the genre seriously. And um, I get the sense here that he's not really interested like he is, he's just interested in the Chopsaki action and all the other stuff. It, even if it was in the book, it doesn't matter to the comic book people. Let's just not even bother with it. And so it makes things very surface. As the series goes along, he seems less and less interested in having any of this make sense or matter or anything. And we get increasingly goofy weirdness, um, which we'll talk about. Um, and that eventually writes itself all of a sudden, like, um, which we'll get to. There's a couple things in this issue I wanted to mention. Um, one, Ben is still on crutches. So he doesn't do anything. He's like, I'm recovering from that gunshot wound. Uh, okay. But there's a panel here, which I thought was hilarious. I wanted to, to read the dialogue on it. Um, where there's, a, there's the accident, there's like a car accident and the woman dies. And Richard Dragon gets angry. And he rips his shirt off. And the crowd has gathered because of the car accident. And the people in the crowd are commenting on the way he looks. And they go, his face, like a mask. He's turning pale as stone. He seems to be swelling. <laughs> and that's the one that really cracked me up. I'm just going to show it to the people watching. It's this here. It's like, he seems to be swelling. It's just, it's like, he's like a human sponge. He's just getting sort of bigger. Um, wow. This to me is, is almost like, uh, it seems like that then make me think that um, Danny O'Neill is having a hard time taking any of this seriously. I mean, he's doing a classic sort of comic book writing where you have, he wants a certain effect that you can't necessarily get from a, from a static panel where you see Richard Dragon, but he wants to convey the fact that he's, you know, he's getting angry. He, his things have changed. He's now he's going to kick some butt. I get it. 
but the way he did it is so dopey. Just yeah. he's swelling. He's uh, he's like a hive. Uh, he's yeah, having so an allergic reaction. Yeah, there, um, there's some really corny uh, dialogue uh, throughout here that it's very forced, as you can as you you're alluding to. Um, and and the the thing that gets me is that you know obviously you know when, from a third person perspective you can get a lot of characterization, but you know to uh, that pose you know you, and and his whole remember that I guess we should talk about this right that mm, the training that he had it was not just in the martial arts but it was in philosophies you know he talks about the Bible the Quran the Odyssey um, he talks about you know, a, a multitude of different disciplines mental besides physical and amongst those was to own in his emotions and to focus so you know anger was kind of not one of those that the o sensei thought was constructive except in very narrow circumstances so that this was the departure from that so i get that right i get that that you know he's still human and the lady that he might have loved was now dead because of the swiss essentially crashing the motorcycle um, so, you know, obviously we're going to be emotional, but the way it happened is so corny and so over the top that, um, yeah, it almost was like, uh, like I, I, I equated to almost like a Hulk scene, you know, where, you know, you're, you're seeing the Hulk and he's turning into the Hulk, you know, and that, that kind of the dynamic of transformation. And it just, it just is what really corny is, I guess, is the, the best word I can say. Yeah. Um. That ends the adaptation, but it doesn't end the storyline. Um, to me, the, the next part clearly did not seem to be part of the adaptation. No. Uh, but it's arguably it's one of it's arguably the most important issue in the run in a weird way because of things that have happened much later. There's another one later, right at the end, issue 18, that we'll talk about for the same reasons, um, and that's because it's the first appearance of Lady Shiva. Now, Lady Shiva, in the years since the series, we're gonna have a whole postscript about this, but Lady Shiva. Um, has become way more important than Richard Dragon. And uh, frankly, she's kind of more important than Richard Dragon in his own series and a lot of these stories. He's still the main character, but they have increasingly thin reasons for her to show up. Um, what happens in this is that uh, there's a guy, and again, he's organizing this like um, fight thing, and uh, he's got like these minions that are training with him. There's this robed person that's going to destroy Richard Dragon. It's one of those things where like, I've, I've fought all the, you have the big fight at the scene at the beginning, but it turns out that's just training. It's just training because this person's going to defeat Richard Dragon like this. A um, couple things then take place. We get introduced to Janie and Janie, Ben's finally healed. He doesn't do anything in the story, but at least he has both of his legs. We see him for one page where he's training the student at the dojo, which is Janie, who is a black woman who is learning Kung Fu. And you can see there's some flirting going on. This later becomes, I don't want to say important because they really don't seem to care about this in the issue, but it becomes a plot point, let's say. Um, and then Barney Ling from Good shows up again and is like, I've got a mission for you. And Richard Dragon's like, no, I hate you. Okay, I'll do it. Um, which is basically how he reacts every single time. And he par parachutes down onto this island with like a castle. And uh, turns out the robed warrior is Lady Shiva. And they have a big fight. And during, the, she's like, 
it's because of you that uh, my sister died. And Rich Dragon's like, it wasn't my fault. The, the, you know, the Swiss did it. And she's like, shut up. And so they're fighting and the guy, I'm going to get into that guy in a minute because he's, mm, <laughs> I've got a lot of things to say about this character, but he's, he's giving a running commentary as though he's Howard Cosell to nobody while he's sitting on top of a chair that's on a pole. So he's, I don't know why, but he's, it's like a lifeguard chair, but it's just on a pole. And he's sitting way up in the air, sort of looking down while he's eating a drumstick. And he's giving a running commentary. And in the commentary, he mentions that he's the one that sent the Swiss to kill the sister. And Richard Dragon's like, are you even listening to this guy? She's like, she's like, no, I'm not. And he's like, well, listen to him. And then the guy's like, oh, I shouldn't have said that thing. And she's like, oh, wait, that time I heard it when you just repeated it. And then they team up and they, she's about to kill the guy. And Richard Dragon's like, don't, he's not worth it. And she's like, yeah, you're right. Never mind. And the story ends and they leave. And uh, there's a few things here. I was kind of like, you're just going to leave him there. You're not going to do anything. Okay. I get not killing him, I guess, but you're just going to leave. You're just going to leave. And sure enough, he pops up like two issues later comes back um there's another thing that, that that drives me crazy i've seen in other comics where during the sequence at the beginning um the the mass the robed figure that's doing the thing it's clearly a dude and then we get introduced to lady shiva she actually goes on the mission with richard dragon from good and then betrays him and attacks him and then when she does that she's again in the robe but this time it's clearly a woman. And yep. so they drew her as a man so that you wouldn't know it was her sure. yep. later on. And that's just so, it's so cheap. It's so disingenuous, isn't it? It's just like, you know, it, like, what it really reminds me of is the new Avengers, which I've ranted about a few times where you have this character Ronan who's appeared on all these covers. It is clearly a guy. And then it was originally supposed to be Hawkeye. But when 12 issues later, when they finally did the reveal, it turns out it's a woman named Echo. And once they pull the mask off, suddenly she's got a woman's body. But even in that issue where she was fighting guys, it's clearly a man is drawn like a man. And then it was just like, well, once I take the mask off, it's like if Clark Kent took his glasses off and then suddenly we had double D's that popped up and you didn't <laughs> notice. That's basically what's happening. Yep. The last thing I want to mention, and then I really want to get your take on all this, is yeah. this is the issue where I felt like now that he's passed the novel, that Denny O'Neill is just not taking, he just can't take any of this seriously because the bad guy's name <laughs> is Guano Cravat. <laughs> he's named Guano Cravat. And then he's written in the worst nonsensical prose. When you first get introduced to them, there's the caption that says, if an octopus could talk, He'd sound like this creature, this guano cravat. And I was like, if an octopus could talk, what the hell does that mean? What the hell does that mean? Oh my gosh. So anyway, first appearance of Lady Shiva, very important character in DC Comics. Absolutely, absolutely. Also the first appearance of guano cravat, who talks like an octopus. Yeah, I think they, uh, guano being the excrement of bats, 
um, which are very full of ammonia and uh, very toxic. I think that there was some kind of parallel there, of course, but uh, yeah, very, I, I guess they kind of wanted to show, he was supposedly a businessman, um, you know, international, had international, uh, you know, feelers everywhere. And uh, you're right, he's eating, is slobbering. I mean, very, you know, obviously, obviously this is not, a, this is not somebody that, you know, you'd invite over for dinner. Obviously, we got that, you know, you didn't have to go that far into it. Um, and then besides that, he has like these laser beams, you know, that was going to kill them anyway, no matter what, you know, the solution there between Lady Shiva and Richard Dragon. Well, if that's the case, why go through all this pretense? Just, you know, but uh, yeah, I think the, the, you're right about Denny O'Neill here. I mean, it just, it's really going off the rails at this point. Um, and it's just, just contrived plot points to get the action there and enter, introduce this character, which I think you're right. This to me is by far the best character in this series. Um, really a yin to Richard Dragon's yang, you know, Richard Dragon trying to be, he's always trying to avoid the fight saying, I'll give you this one last chance. And she's like running towards the fights. You know? yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that this, this is a very, very interesting character and much more interesting than Richard Dragon. You're, you're right about that for sure. Um, as goofy as this issue is, it's not nearly as goofy as the next issue. Now, issue six. Okay, so I like good comics. Oh I like really bad comics. I particularly like comics that are absurd, that that embrace the being a comic book and have no pretensions to anything. And they're just like, yeah, it's a comic. Let's just do, do whatever dumb things we want to do. And that's, that's the, that sure. is issue six, which has got to be one of the dumbest comics i've ever read but i was cracking up throughout the whole thing because it was so stupid okay um uh just let me just check my notes because i want to make sure i don't miss any of the dumb parts of it here okay well but there's there's lots of them <laughs> the main thing is that i actually don't have um, many notes here ben does not appear in this because it picks up immediately after issue five so what happens is they're on that island or whatever. <laughs> they're on the island and uh, Richard Dragon and Lady Shiva, like the, the airplane from Good picks them up. One thing with this organization, Good, we never know what they're doing or why. A couple things I want to mention. Barney Ling always has these henchmen working for him that um, are always trying to kick Richard Dragon's ass, even though Richard Dragon works for Barney Ling. They fly to the island specifically to rescue him, and when he's like, okay, and, uh, you know, Lady Shiva's coming with, with us, and the guy's like, I'm going to kick your ass. And it happens over and over again. I'm just like, I was not at all convinced that, that good were good guys. I thought no. throughout reading this that at some point we were going to get the reveal what they were really doing. That never happens. Yeah, I, I got a feeling that's exactly right. They were, there's some kind of shadow organization with some kind of high-end evil agenda. We just never got there. We just never got there. The other thing about them being this super secret organization and all these missions is their headquarters has a giant marquee with the letters good about 25 feet tall on top of the building. And later on, if we find out the way it's drawn in a, in a later issue, those apparently are, are light up because they're like beaming light. And so I'm like, <laughs> what kind of secret organization is this? 
<laughs> Hiding in plain sight, apparently. Yeah. I just, uh, I want to see the Hydra headquarters where it says Hydra and has the giant, like, octopus, which yeah. I guess would be Guano Cravat. Yeah. Um, so, issue six. So, the, the plane goes to... <laughs> I can't believe I'm yeah, going to say. They get in a fight because, they, because Richard Dragon wants to take Lady Shiva off the island. They're like, oh, no, we, you're the only one we were you know, instructed to take out of here, so let's fight. Yeah. So they, but they, he beats him. They get on the plane, and actually Barney Ling is on the plane, so I don't know why he didn't just duck his head up and be like, Steve, yep. stop fighting. Let's go. Yep. It's fine. Because um, she would, was also. would have robbed of a, of a fight scene there, Scott. <sighs> There's a lot of totally unnecessary fight scenes in these. I can't believe I'm about to say any of this, but here's what happens. <laughs> They're flying their airplane and all of a sudden a um, magnetic force starts pulling them down. And so Barney Ling is like, well, we've got this cargo on board that we can't allow to get captured. So drop it in that volcano. So there's an active volcano where you can like see the lava. And so the plane's like, okay, let's do it. And Richard Dragon's like, what did you just dump in that volcano? And he's like, it's an atomic bomb. <laughs> and Richard Dragon's like, didn't you ever occur to you it might blow up? And Barney Ling goes, Oh crap! <laughs> so the plane crashes, and it turns out that the island has pirates. But what the pirates do is they, they do piracy against airplanes because they have an enormous magnet on the top of a huge crane and they point it up in the air and it sucks airplanes down and then they rob them and it's led by a guy named slash who's a bald pirate with a saber don't call him mister don't call him mister i don't know why but this becomes a running joke in all of his appearances where he gets so angry if you call mister slash it's just slash and so um Lady Shiva's like, I'm going to kick that pirate's butt. And, but Richard Dragon's nowhere to be seen. And so Shiva and Slash have a fight and someone interferes. And so the, she loses, but only because of the interference. And so he's like, okay, I'm just going to execute all of you. Meanwhile, Richard Dragon commandeers the giant magnet and he uses it to pull the A-bomb out of the volcano. And then just as Slash is about to execute Lady Shiva... Richard Dragon swings the magnet over and magnetizes Saber's sword, which is over his head. It sucks him up into the air, and Richard Dragon swings the crane out over the ocean and drops them in the ocean. The A-bomb and Saber. And Slash. <laughs> and Slash, I mean. And then they're like, let's leave. And they That's leave. <laughs> We're good. I was laughing so hard when I was reading this. I kept, my wife was trying to read a book, and I kept being like, wait, 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 wait. Wait, 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 hold on. There's a giant magnet on a crane. And she's like, that's nice, dear. <laughs> yeah, this, this, this one, I mean, you're right, Scott. I couldn't believe, you know, that I, 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 I had to double take, make sure that this was Richard Dragon Kung Fu Fighter and not something like Sergio Aragonis was writing, you know, um, because it, it's, it's, oh my God, that's so ridiculous. I mean, um, you know, first of all, why would you come rescue somebody with an atomic bomb in the, <laughs> you know, and then, and then have the genius idea of dropping it in an active volcano. You know, you, you, if you could drop it in the water, at least, you know, back and retrieve it at some point, we drop it in a volcano. <laughs> I mean, I mean, this is really, this is, this didn't jump the shark. This leaped the whole planet. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
that's a good way of putting it. I remember I, I finished this issue and I, again, my wife's trying to read a book and I was like, I have to adjust my expectations for this comic book. I went into it hoping it was going to be good. And now I realize that's not going to happen. So I need to just uh, embrace it because this issue was hilariously entertaining. Oh yeah. But it, it was about as far from good as you can get other than the acronym good. Because yeah. um, it's just, and I was reading this and I was like, I thought from the way the series started that this was, this was going to be a serious take. And the thing is, um, Marvel's Kung Fu books were very serious, particularly Master Kung Fu. And the difference in tone between this nonsense and what Marvel was doing in Master Kung Fu is just incredible. It's no surprise to me that this series only lasted 18 issues. It's actually a little bit of a surprise to me that it lasted that long um, with stuff like this. And But it was also just kind of like, Denny O'Neill put in enough work on this to have a whole novel written and published. I would think he would care more about the characters and the stuff than this, but clearly he doesn't. And he is not going to care much more than this as we go forward. Again, I don't want to jump ahead of ourselves. There is going to come a point where all of a sudden things get serious again, but it's not going to be because of anything Denny O'Neill's doing. Um, Man man and uh that is is i don't think that's the worst issue in the series but it's it's the funniest worst issue like um there's a couple issues that i think are objectively worse because they're not as entertaining but equally dumb right um but don't worry there are some good ones too so there's some some good ones but i got out my issue seven here and um Guano Cravat shows up again. And the reason he shows up is he wants revenge because after they beat him last time, he's like embarrassed. He lost some sort of contract or something, but also they just left him. They didn't do anything. They were just like, take that. And then they just left. And so he was like, shame on you. Yeah. You, okay. You knocked over my tall chair, but everything else is still in place. So I'll just get some more guys like keep doing it. And we never like, this is a guy that apparently was the person trying to get the laser codes. And we do see him use lasers in his house, but we never find out what he was really doing with that. So that none of that mattered. Right. But, but they, but they didn't, they didn't clear, clarify that. No. It just happened. You know, yeah. it just happened. You have to put together the pieces. They didn't, yeah. they didn't clarify that one, one bit. No. So in this story, a couple things, uh, just real quick plot is that he sends a bunch of goons after Richard Dragon and Lady Shiva to beat them up. The only thing that I thought was legitimately interesting in this is that the main goon is this giant guy who is super strong and super tough and also a super kung fu guy. But he's actually a really nice, gentle giant. But he has this thing implanted in his brain where this bad guy named Dr. Moon, who's a henchman, who we see comes back later in the series, He's got a device where he can turn this thing on and force the guy to become violent and kill people. So I thought that character has some interesting potential. I kind of like that character. And if this was a real comic book with real stories that people were putting effort into, it would have been interesting to see him come back later and have some sort of redemption arc um, where they like take the thing out and then he like joins their squad. This is what the sort of thing I would look into doing were I writing it. But unfortunately for me, this is being adapted from 
a story by Jim Dennis. And Jim <laughs> Dennis does not care about these things. The fictitious Jim Dennis. Maybe that's why this is so random compared to Denny O'Neill's other comics is that he's writing as Jim Dennis and that gives him the freedom to just do all sorts of dumb crap. Um, anyway, at the end, they win. Uh, Richard Dragon beats the guy. Lady Shiva's like, I'm not going to interfere because he, you know, he's got, it's, he needs the honor of defeating this. And I'm like, just, just defeat the guy. Don't, how stupid is this? But whatever, that's the world of Kung Fu. And at the end, they once again are like, take that guano cravat. Goodbye. <laughs> um, he doesn't actually show up again, but I kept waiting for him to come back and eventually, eventually have them be like, maybe we shouldn't just keep just leaving this dude. Um, two things that, that um, I also things that I thought were interesting is um, he... Dr. Moon sends a group of uh, people to attack the dojo and they attack a group of students that are leaving the dojo. Now, uh, this is kind of a classic Kung Fu thing where you get the students from the different dojos like fighting and stuff. Um, we're going to see next issue that the same thing happens next issue, but even worse. And I'm like, wow, why do these people stay at this dojo? It's got to be the most dangerous dojo in New York where, cause these, these random like super assassins keep attacking the students. The thing in here that really cracked me up though, I don't know if anyone else, someone else must have noticed this. Okay, just to recap what's happening with Ben, gets shot in the arm issue one. Issue two, he gets shot in the leg, he's out of commission. Issue three, still out of commission on crutches. Issue four, out of commission on crutches. Issue five, he's healthy again and he's teaching class but we only see him on one page because Richard Dragon goes off on his own mission. So he's right. not in issue six either. So Ben shows up. I'm sorry. I'm cracking up just saying this. Ben shows up again this issue and he's on crutches. And there's a panel where he says, um, sorry, I'm not able to help. This leg is taking a long time healing. And Richard Dragon says to him, forget it, Ben. You can't expect to recover from a nasty fall instantly and then there's an asterisk for an editor's note to explain what they're talking about but there's no editor's note there's just the asterisk and i was like the asterisk so after richard dragon left on the mission last issue ben fell off of a ladder and now he's on crutches again what the hell dude oh yeah. man that, that's that that's the one that got me right there i mean that's the one where like okay Listen, stop picking on poor Ben, okay? Now he has an injury off panel somewhere, you know? <laughs> just just either, either send him on vacation or something, but don't keep injuring the poor man. This was the point where I was like, why did they even have this character? Why even make this character? He's supposed to be Richard Dragon's brother. Like, they've, they've uh, been trained together for years. They grew up together. He's the older brother and they've got this bond, you know, and that could actually be interesting. And the only time in this whole series where that actually comes into play is in the last issue, uh, which we'll get Pretty to much. when we get to it. But they set that up in issue one and then they spend every waking moment for the first half of the series writing him out in increasingly goofy ways because they don't actually have any purpose for the character. And I was like... What? What are you doing? Why do you even have this guy? 
yeah, it's 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 bizarre to me. It's bizarre to me. It's uh, and I, and again, I, okay, you don't. It, not everybody has to be in every issue. I get that. But why do you have to constantly be dissing him with some kind of injury or some kind of of issue that he has instead of just saying, well, you know, I'm I'm going to go visit, you know, my father or something. You know, you don't have to injure the guy to get him out of the plot. That's that. I don't I don't so mind that he was out of the plot. It's the way that they did it that I mind. Yeah, in issue five, it was basically like he was fine and he was like, I'll go with you. And Richard's like, uh, I think he said something like, well, we need someone to teach the students. Mm -hmm. uh, so you'd stay here and keep doing that. And so Ben's like, okay, great. And so that's fine. That's fine. Why does he need to like be on crutches again next time we see him? My suspicion is that Denny O'Neill is paying so little attention to the series um, or maybe it was Rick Estrada, the penciler, but someone forgot that Ben had gotten healed since he was only in one page on, in issue five. And they thought when that Richard, when Richard Dragon gets back from that mission, that Ben was still on crutches from the first several issues. And someone just forgot what they were doing. Um, and I think that would explain why there was this thing about him having a bad fall, where I think maybe it was Denny O'Neill that was trying to write something in to explain what the visuals we were looking at because they didn't make any sense yeah. but it made it worse it made it yeah. so much worse yeah. yeah um terrible 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 uh the way that they did that honestly just confusing and just unnecessary honestly That's it for this episode of the Classic Comics Forum podcast. As always, I'd like to thank my guest, Metarog, for joining me. Next time, we'll be wrapping up our discussion of Richard Dragon Kung Fu Fighter as we look at the rest of the series, which ends with issue number 18. Again, I'd like to uh, urge everyone to go visit Metarog's YouTube channel. There's a lot of great stuff there. If you are interested in checking out the crime busters you're welcome to visit that on kickstarter and as always you can visit us at classiccomics.org to join in the conversation so hopefully i'll see you there and hopefully i'll see you next time